Hello and welcome into the Gotta Be Saints podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Gotta. Join me each week as I speak with future saints about being saints. Today's podcast is titled Saintly Virtue, What We Can Learn from Aquinas. I have with me today, Jason Craig. Jason, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Thank you so much for joining for the podcast. Before we get started here, I want to shout out our two sponsors. That is The Catholic Company and Good Catholic. Listen later for a little ad plug about a coupon code that you can use to get 20% off your order at either one of those sites. Okay, now on to today's conversation. We're talking saintly virtue, what we can learn from Aquinas. Uh, Jason, to begin, can you just introduce yourself and in that introduction, can you tell us what bourbon you're drinking? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm drinking Elijah Craig, uh, my uncle's namesake. I've been it's because we're on a webcam. You uh, you had me out here. Uh, well, never, I, I saw in the show notes before that you you are, are bourbon connoisseur. So uh, I wanted to make sure that we saved it for for this right now. <laughs> well, this the story is Elijah Craig is my ancestor. Uh, and I, I'm a convert to the faith, um, so part of the bio there. And I found out about this at a family gathering where my aunt was doing um, one of those like Ancestry.com, you know, research things. And she was somewhat embarrassed uh, to articulate that our family had in its in in our history the invention of bourbon. <clears throat> I, a you know, she was sort of a post-Puritan Protestant. Uh, I was a new Catholic, so I was pretty excited about this claim to fame. Um, the father of bourbon. The father of bourbon is my uh, ancestor, and um, she actually traced it like he's my actual ancestor. He was an illegal Baptist preacher, because uh, you know, despite our um, misgivings or, or myths about being a completely free, religiously free nation, you actually had to be a licensed Episcopalian or Anglican clergyman to preach and he was illegal illegal anabaptist preacher who made bourbon of course i mean that was your next guess and uh anyway the story of of how he invented you know these burnt barrels or how he you know how it happened is i've heard different versions of it but he is uh important to the history of bourbon and he is indeed my ancestor and so that (laughs) is that your is that your drink of choice then it tends to be out of um allegiance um, and yeah, and it's delicious. It is. You know, they've moved in the last decade. You know, they used to have their standard aged. You know, now it's the blended. You know, it used to be the twelve year age. Now it's all the blended. But you know, there's a lot of great Elijah Craig's you can still find out there. And there's there's actually down the road from. I mean, in the middle of nowhere, South Carolina, there's like a, a bartender at this random restaurant who's just all into Elijah Craig, and he has all these like vintages of it, and he's just just obsessed with this line of bourbon uh but uh no it's good it is my drink of choice but from from allegiance more than uh being a connoisseur i wouldn't call myself that i'd like to be but i don't think i'm there yet you're you're okay i mean i've got a i got a private barrel downstairs of elijah craig and it's delicious (laughs) and and then the uh the normal the normal elijah craig is is good too um but of course we're, we're we're not here to talk about 
just bourbon. So I just, I just had to throw that out there. Um, but I'll, but I'll let you introduce yourself here still sure, as well. Okay. Well, that, it, it's still a good segue. I'm, I'm a, uh, I did not grow up in the faith. I did not grow up particularly in any, um, faith other than just, you know, in the Southern sort of as Flannery O'Connor called the Christ haunted South. Jesus is sort of everywhere. The Bible is sort of everywhere. Even if you don't know what those things are, they're just like this omnipresent reality. Um, I converted to Protestant Christianity when I was like kind of late high school. Um, and that was a very, prior to that, it was very typical American, like divorced home, you know, troubled youth stuff, nothing extraordinary. It's, you know, all the devil's um, temptations are pretty cliche and, and, you know, just, you know, he, he's not coming up with new stuff uh, regularly. So, um, became a Protestant Christian, um, was very serious about that and was involved with various Protestant ministries. Um, and like, a, you know, we're, we're not here to talk about convert stories, I don't think, but like a lot of converts, I read my way into the church. There were some historical examinations some theological interests that I had. And I, long story short, I tried to prove a Catholic or a potentially Catholic uh, family member who was going to enter the church. I wanted to prove them wrong. So I said, well, I'm going to read some Catholic books. And um, it just, it didn't work out for me. Um, so I think or, I, I or entered did, the church. Or it did work out. Or it did work out for the Lord and the truth. Uh, but 2006, I came into the church with my wife, who's also a convert. She grew up in an atheist home. Uh, so we're both, we're both converts to Christ initially into Protestant Christianity. Uh, sort of a Calvinist evangelical flair, and uh, we're both now Catholics, and you know, eight kids, and kind of you know, big old Catholic family. So certainly, where I wouldn't have pictured myself when I was younger, but uh, praise God, He brings me to truth, even though I'm dumb. Hey, same. So this is great. <laughs> I, I, I love, I love it. I live so I live in Western North Carolina. We just found out before the show. You know, we we're actually relatively close to one another. Uh, I live on a small dairy farm uh, where we farm with our family. I um, mostly in the day do writing. I work for an apostate called Fraternus, um, and um, yeah, there, obviously that's there's a lot of things I'm skipping over in between. Um, it, Lot, lots of stories in there, but mostly just stories of grace and God being good to us undeservedly. Hmm. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm, well, I'm thankful you're here, Jason. I'm excited for this conversation. As I said to all of you who are listening at, listening at home, talking about saintly virtue, Jason's written a book on this with Aquinas. And so we're going to kind of get into that. Um, so my first qu two questions for you. Can you give us a brief overview of your book and, and then just what inspired you to write it? Sure. I, um, well, the inspiration um, is just that I have a family, first of all. Um, and I work with an apostolate called Fraternus. And, you know, the, the, the thrust of Fraternus is that men need mentors. We need father figures. We need brothers. We need fathers. And, um, when you think, when you talk about, well, what are we, what are we mentoring in? What are we doing? What are we moving towards? What's, well, of course, it's God. It's God Himself, and the Catholic tradition has given us the very simple answer that virtue is how we grow closer to God. So it's not, you know, virtue is not just 
self-help or getting better or being successful or good looking, obviously, you know, you see me on the webcam here. Um, and <laughs> as I have it's studied, <laughs> as I have, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Aquinas. Um, and I, and I love, um, I sort of grew up just very blue collar. Um, and I, and I loved the, the ethos and the, the work and the goodness of just working men, just good guys. And slowly as my intellect sort of woke up, thanks, uh, thanks to the church, thanks to, you know, some education, I was fascinated at how brilliant Aquinas is, um, and sort of the, the, his articulation of the good life of, of virtue itself. It seems very, when people say like, oh, well, Thomas Aquinas says this or that, it seems lofty, distant, esoteric. Um, but in between the lines of it is a man, a saint, who was very attuned to just reality. And his articulation of virtue and the good life is not just, um, you know, theological hair splitting. But it's just it's just rooted in reality itself. And as I read it, I'm like, man, this is this is just true. Um, so there was a, a a guy I love. His name is Peter Marin, and he was always sad when he worked. He worked a lot with like working men, like factory workers. And he would say, you know, every working man is a scholar, and every scholar a working man. And what he meant was, there's this gritty experience that men have in the trenches of leading their family, of working of working out just the, the details, the minutia of everyday life. And then there's this grand intellectual tradition of the church, which is coherent and consistent and ultimately true. And a lot of times those two worlds just don't interact, don't work together. Um, so the, as I sort of coming up in sort of a blue collar upbringing was trained in sort of reading Aquinas, I'm just amazed and wishing that these worlds would come together more often, I guess, in, in interaction. And um, this book was trying to translate Aquinas, you know, again, Aquinas didn't need, he didn't need me. Aquinas doesn't need me uh, to be translated. The, 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 the articulation that he has is beautiful, but it's, it is not, it's not exactly approachable. It's, it, it, it requires a little bit of a training. It's not exactly accessible. Um, so the idea was to bring his, his brilliance, his insights to a form of study that could be enjoyed. Uh, and I had two groups of people in mind. I had groups of men, you know, father, young fathers, men, brothers, small fraternities of guys that wanted to go deeper into something like, you know, perhaps the perennial teaching of the church in virtue with the greatest doctor of the church, the angelic doctor, the universal doctor um, of St. Thomas Aquinas. I had, I had just guys wanting to like learn about, to have a common language of virtue. Um, and then I also had in, in mind, like we're doing it right now in our house of just fathers with their sons and their, and their children of just reading through this and sort of under like unpacking in a pretty like intellectually rigorous way, but Aquinas never leaves it there. It just, it's always so impactful. Um, so he, I mean, he's got so much in there from, you know, you, you think of him being like esoteric, you know, how many angels is it, you know, dancing on the pin of a needle, all that kind of stuff people make fun of him about, but he's got everything in there from like when it's okay to make fun of your buddies and when it's not, um, you know, why, <clears throat> 
why you need to learn how to like study and not be distracted by the internet. He didn't call it the internet, but you know, why you need to not be distracted. Um, you know, there's just all the, the, the language and the articulation of virtue and vice. When you read it, it's like, this isn't some guy just giving vocab words to study. This is a guy who understands life. And I wanted to translate that. Mm. So to speak. Um, and that, that always, I'm, I'm always a little timid to say that cause he doesn't, he doesn't need me, but, um, to bring that into common language, into common discussion, I think there's a lot of fruit there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'd say it's it's probably a necessity because I think there's probably many people like myself who, you know, can sit here and say, yeah, Thomas Aquinas, the little I know about him, great. You know, and from that my philosophy important. class in college, you know, right. I can... I can I can turn and say, yeah, I remember reading something of his. But then I can also sit there and say, and I didn't like it because it didn't make a whole lot of sense. So right. Right. praise God that, you know, there's someone like yourself who's who's willing to take that and unpack it for the everyday man. Um I was I was looking at, you know, kind of some of the notes for your book and and the book mentions the traditional virtues. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on what those virtues are and why they're relevant in today's world? Sure. I mean, obviously, when I say tradition, I mean something distilled by experience. I mean, we're talking wisdom and reality. And when we say the virtues as Catholics, when we and the traditional virtues, what we're talking about, there's two sets, the theological virtues, the cardinal virtues. And a lot of us hear that faith, hope and love, prudence, justice, temperance, fortitude. We hear these things and they can sort of get washed away in a lot of language of just, you know, self-help and maybe it's good to be disciplined or mindfulness or like all these words, you know, that are ultimately trying to help you be good. Right. Um, the, the traditional virtues as they arrive to us from our own lived experience as, as the church from revelation and from really, really smart people. And, and not just that, really, really smart and holy people, in other words, the saints, that this vocabulary of virtue is not just another articulation of, hey, if you do these things, you'll be you know, more successful or better looking. Um, it's actually that this is the path to authentic happiness, which means this is the path to God himself. So for Catholics, we're, virtue is not an end. You know, it's a means. God is the end. Virtue is mm. what we de- what we describe as the life that we live that brings us closer to God. Because you can sort of talk about and think about virtue in a very weird, almost secular way, um, that even even a pagan way that is just in the realm of like, how do I get ahead? You know, how do I go from like good to great and all that stuff? Um, which is, I mean, a lot of those things are good. I'm not disparaging them, but what Aquinas means in the when we say the traditional virtues, I mean, this is, this is it. There might be some subtle nuances that we can talk about and articulate. This is our vocabulary. This is the vocabulary of how to be good, not just act good, not to feel good, but to be good. And to be good for us is not for anyone else's sake, for the show of it, but it is to live in the goodness of God himself for, for to, to reach God himself. He is our end. He is our purpose. He is why we're doing this. 
Yeah. I, well, I love it. And, you know, here at the Gotta Be Saints podcast, all of the people who listen to this podcast know. And I, I drill this in time and time and time again. You know, our, our purpose here is to be saints. And so if somebody listens to an episode of this podcast, my hope in prayer is that they they listen to it and are inspired to think about that concept, that reality, that calling. And so it sounds like this book is doing just that and inviting people to think about that, to look at their lives and say, how do I be a saint? And it, of course, is going to come with accepting virtue and then living it out. Um, so that's a, a beautiful concept. I I know that you know many people perceive virtue as this abstract concept or as abstract concepts. How do you make virtues practical and applicable in everyday life as, as your book suggests? Sure. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm leaning on Aquinas. What I, I really want to in this book is just articulate sort of how he laid these things out in a way that I think we'll understand them. So taking his, you know, the format of the Summa, the Summa Theologica, which is where all this is coming from, is in this very kind of, for, for, for our language, it's an academic you know, treaties of how these things interact. And they're very thorough and detailed. I mean, he just leaves no stones, you know, unturned. Um, and for better or worse, that gets into some really nitty gritty of things. Uh, so what I did was just was to read through them um, sort of with a fine tooth comb and pull out those things that are obviously, tangibly, clearly, intuitively, connected to how we live life every day. Um, and as far as making them applicable, you know, that's not my job. That's your job. Um, but understanding the truth of these things, um, I think you'll, you'll, as you, as you study Aquinas, it's amazing how these virtues aren't some like life hack or some way to look at life itself as some sort of, you know, um, program of self-advancement, but they're really just, okay, there is an order to the world itself. There is a nature that I am created with. I live in this nature in submission to God, yet I'm still, I'm simultaneously a free agent individual living in, a, in this. And I'm, I'm this, this intertwined human reality of, I am endowed with intellect and free will and I can make I can do stuff I can do things I can think things I can say things I can bring things to being I can stop things from being it's this very godlike power that we have and when when people talk about virtue it's not just some habit you're trying to gain virtue is a habit but not in the sense of like oh I just it would be nice if I you know didn't drink a coke every time I went by the grocery store or whatever it's this is myself, who I actually am, perfected. This is myself brought to maturity. And the best way to think about virtue is not a life hack, you know, some way to like get ahead. The way to think about virtue is, is the way an acorn, you know, when it hits the ground and it hits the soil and it sends out a root and then it sends out a leaf and then a stem, you know, and then a branch. And as it becomes what it is, becomes more and more what it already is, what it was created to be. You know, the oak tree in its might and its great stature, that is a virtuous oak tree. 
Now, an oak tree in its nature just grows sort of naturally towards that as long as nothing is standing in the way of an oak tree. And an oak tree has and receives what it needs to become an oak tree. Well, then it's a virtuous oak tree, so to speak. But strictly speaking, uh, an oak tree is not virtuous. We are. And it's because we have this intellect and free will, and then we have these raging things called passions and all, all of this stuff sort of intertwined. We have all sorts of things that can slow our maturity towards being that oak tree. So when you become virtuous, it's not that you're becoming a better you. Right? I really don't like the phrase even like, it's not a better version of you. It's actually just you better. It's you grown to spiritual maturity as God intended from the very beginning of your creation, from your conception. The intention for you as a saint is not something extrinsic or just something that you adopted, but it's actually you, full maturity, which means it's you, all the natural powers that are available in you brought to their full force, their full maturity in cooperation with grace, this weird intertwining of God's action in your life, of your natural potential. And I don't mean potential, like you could be rich. I mean, your, your potential to be holy, that God, when you mm. were born, you were heading in that direction. When you were born, you were headed in the direction of sanctity. That is, you, as soon as you existed, your end, your trajectory was God, was holiness, was sainthood, was sanctity, was heaven, was beatific vision. And virtue, every time you grow in virtue, you're just growing in that direction. And when you understand it in that way, it's, for me at least, it becomes simpler and easier than just, man, I'm like, I really screwed up this time, or if I would do better in this, or if, gosh, if I just had more discipline in this area. And like, all those things are kind of true. But Aquinas' big picture is that your end is God, is God himself. And whenever you grow in virtue, yeah. you're always growing in holiness. And you're always growing also in who you already are. It's just more of who you are. And so for me, I know it's a real struggle. It's always feeling like I'm trying to put on virtue so that I can look virtuous. Versus cooperating with God's grace, perfecting the powers that are already in me so that I can grow into maturity. Right as a as a Christian, as a man, as a father, as a husband, as whatever, it's all these that that is the better way to think about virtue than just I think in our day and age, you know, three easy life hacks to make work easier, or be more organized, or you know, whatever. And all those things are good, but they pale in comparison to the thought that I was actually set on this course by God Himself, and as a faithful father, He is there to help me get there. Mm. Amen. I love everything you said. And I think, you know, disposition can, uh, our disposition can go a long way in this, in this space and this, you know, movement forward as we, as we pursue holiness. But, uh, you know, you think about even just as, as one, uh, goes to confession and then exits the next time, just hoping that they, uh, can do better. You know, it seems like the people who go in thinking, oh, I just need to avoid, uh, X, Y, Z sin, as opposed to the person who goes, I just want to love the Lord better. Um, that that person who just wants to love the Lord better is in a, in, in a better space to to grow in 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 virtue and in love for the Lord, uh, because they're looking at it probably in in a better lens than uh, not to say that we shouldn't have that 
desire to to fight against sin, but um, there's just a, a beauty there, and I, I love everything that you just said, Jason. Um, hey, well, let me let me can so right you in that instant, go ahead? So the you know, for example, the virtue of faith is what compels you to go to confession in the first place. And you know, my we were just reading this morning, my kids and I, we were Tamana Aquinas and, and his his distinguishing in faith that you can have. You know, faith sort of faith is the acceptance that God is who he is. And that should elicit in you, according to Aquinas, fear that, wow, he is God and I'm not. And his might and mm. his power and what he is and what I'm not, that's that's like a scary thing. And he, he says you can have, you know, faith creates in us two types of fear. One of them is servile fear, which is sort of a servant and a master that I am scared of screwing up. Because I don't want to go to hell. Now we know that's not like good enough when we are when we say it that way. But in some way, Aquinas says, "Well, but you know what? It's a start because when you say I'm scared of God, I don't want to go to hell." In that instance, you're saying, "Well, God is God, sin is sin. I could go to hell for my sins." You know, it's sort it is an act of faith, but that that's a servile, that's servile. Like I'm a like I'm a servant in that word. You know, Aquinas says perfected faith is filial faith, that I'm a son, and that my bigger fear is not the punishment of hell, but that actually that I would be separated from so good of a God, and that my fear is to be separated from him. And then the second form of filial fear is that because he is God, I never would think in, 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 in my wildest dreams that I could be like him or that I would want to grasp it, you know, being more than he is. So filial fear still has fear because God is God. He's, a, he's amazing, but that he has made me his son, that changes everything. So Aquinas has this beautiful articulation of like, look, hey, look, I know some of you are scared of hell. That's where you go to confession. All right, that's a good start. That's, that's okay. It's better to go to confession and know that you can and will be punished for your sins. You will be punished for your sins, and you should fear that punishment. But there's something even better. It's actually the the worst part of the punishment is that you'll be separated from a father, from a God who loves you so much, and that you would, that would be your greater fear is separation. That completely changes our entire, then we don't go out of confession, white knuckling it till next time. I hope I don't screw up, you know, and it brings us into, I want to be closer to God. Mm. Mm. I love it. I I think you just uh, hit the nail on the head. Um, I want to, I want to give the listener uh, a chance to, to learn a little bit more about this book than what you've already described. So in a world filled with, you kind of described it, do these three things, you know, in a world filled with self-help programs and, uh, you know, a lot of relativism, how does your book offer a unique perspective on living a virtuous and fulfilling life? Whew. Well, I think... Where Aquinas starts is actually, I think it'd be very surprising to a lot of people. So here's an example. When we say, when we say sins, oh, I got to go to confession regularly. Let's just be blunt. All right. If you're a man, we're talking about, and Aquinas says this, if you're a man, it's either temperance, right? Well, it's usually some sort of realm of temperance, which is your impulses toward food, drink, and sex, right? So he, he brings these things up just very forthrightly and he, somewhat defends you. And he says, listen, the impulse toward, so let's take gluttony. 
Gluttony is the vice of over-drinking, overeating, right? So he defends you in some ways, and, 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 and rightfully so. And he says, that impulse that's in you towards eating is from God. Because when you eat, that's how you sustain your body, and God gave you a body, and he, attend, he intends you to sustain it. So Aquinas is really actually pretty forgiving with helping you see that, okay, these impulses you have are from God. And that helps you humanize everything you're going through. So it's not just this weird like body versus spirit, even though we know the flesh wars against the spirit, and he explains why that's so. But it's it can't be so in some absolute heretical way, which would be that the physical world is evil and the spiritual world is good, because that's a heresy, right? So he, all right, how do we understand what's going on in us physically when we desire something that desire is from god so then we understand that when the sin occurs it's when that desire jumps its bounds when it becomes disordered when it becomes excessive but when you can when you're able to sort of back up and say okay what what is the why did god give me the impulse towards the opposite sex why did god give me the impulse towards food and drink and when you can say, okay, he gave them to give me life and to pass on life, that's actually really liberating. We can say, okay, these things are good, but I want to bring them in right order. And that's what God wants me to do. This is why the we talk about the passions. You know, the passions war again. We know the passions, the emotions, the irascible, the, you know, all these things that anger and lust and, and, and greed these things that just come upon us without our asking for, well, they're, they're actually from God. And what he wants you to do is bring them into right order so that you can be a passionate man. God doesn't want you just to be a subdued man, but a passionate man so that when you are acting virtuously, you're acting virtuously with passion, not just stoicism. The, the virtuous Catholic man is not a stoic at all. He's, he's a passionate man. This is why we call it the passion of Jesus Christ. Right? It's interesting that we talk about these words. We'll use the same words to describe, oh, my passions really overtook me. I had to go to confession. You know? And then we'll say the passion of Jesus Christ. You know, th- these, these words have to be redeemed, and these ideas have to be redeemed. And what Aquinas is, con- I mean, I think his, this the kind of liberating quality of the Summa is that he defends and explains and helps you understand what's going on inside of you so that you understand yourself as created by God and oriented towards God. So that when you, when you are growing in virtue, you're again, you're growing in what you are and who you are. So you kind of understand yourself at the same time, instead of just, I'm a screw up. I hope I don't screw up again. It's such a, it's actually a really debilitating way to, to attempt to grow in holiness, which I would argue, you you won't ever grow in holiness in that way. And Aquinas' integration of, of helping us understand the desires of the body, the desires of the spirit, the, all of those things integrated in the mature human person, it's freeing. Okay, that's what's going on. That's what's happening. Um, it doesn't, it's not an answer. It doesn't mean you stop struggling. Well, now I understand passions and I'm not, you know, I don't deal with passions anymore, but you know, for example, all right, when, you know, my son, and it gives me the language with my sons. We're studying Aquinas together. And they, you know, they're adolescent boys. They get pissed off. They get angry. And we get to go, okay, what is anger? 
and Aquinas says anger is a passion, meaning no one says, you know what? I feel like being angry right now. You can't, it's just, it doesn't drum up. It comes over us just like hunger comes over us. And what does anger want to do? It wants to restore justice. Anger perceives that something has been done wrong and I want to make it right. Everything about that is good. But what if your anger is excessive? What if it's just about your own ego? What if it's this? What if it's that? It, it helps you to understand, okay, do I really want to restore justice? Right? Is that what I'm really trying to do? Or is something else creeping in here? Anger itself is not evil. I mean, our Lord was angry when he drove out the money changers from the temple. So it helps you to see these passions in their proper place so that you can actually use them and harness them and not just try to like live, again, a stoic suppression of all these things, but actually unleash them fully in the mature, virtuous man. Hmm. I love it. I think uh, to, to any of the men who are listening at this, I think they're going to gain a lot from what you're saying. And I think, you know, you're, you're speaking to so many of the things that each and every man has thought about at least once or if not always uh, in their own lives. So I, I want to give you a chance. Um, are any personal experiences or anecdotes that influence your perspective on virtue in the writings of this book uh, that mm -hmm. you want to share? I, I mean, so in, in writing it, you know, I combed through, literally thousands of pages of the Summa. Uh, and it wasn't, you know, j just to, you know, say why is because there, there's a lot of detail that is not always everywhere applicable to the daily life of a man. Um, you know, when he goes into all the different, you know, minutia of justice and witnesses and judges, it's just like, oh, if we're not in court, it doesn't really matter. Um, it's just not, uh, uh, you know, uh, but for me, as I, as I read through it, I was amazed to be introduced to the glory of man and the glory of God, that the way Aquinas articulates the power of man, for example, I mean, in anger, in his anger, in his, his temperance, in his fortitude, to see these things and see how they are what bring us to life made virtue for me something that is like I want to go after it. I wanna I wanna pursue it. Instead and and you know, other people might have a different experience, but for me it's just like I just need more discipline. I just need to wake up on time. I just need better habits. I just need less of this and more of that. And it's just kind of piecing together these things um in sort of an abstract way. And the concept of virtue, it brings it into this wholeness. And again, I just, I can't think of a better analogy than like a tree. It just brings it like when you can see this thing, it's like, that is what it means. It's rooted in the soil, you know, in the humus and the humility of the soil. It reaches its arms up to heaven. It receives the light and the rain it needs to grow. And then it grows. And our job is to remove the obstacles that keep it from its growth. Because that's what it actually is. A lot of times we think our sin our vices, our attachments, that those are the things that actually define and make us. But those are the things that are actually restricting us. And then when those things are pushed out of the way or, or called out for what they are, we're able to grow more naturally. I mean, this is, you know, we live on a little farm and it's like when you find a little tree that's girdled by a piece of barbed wire that somebody left there and you cut it, it's like, okay, that tree can live now. You know, and that tree can be what that tree is. That tree is not barbed wire. 
that barbed wire is extrinsic. It's something else. And virtue is our true nature. It's not something else added onto us. It's who we are with the grace of God brought to perfection. Well, thank you. I And I, I want to give you now a chance. I know we've talked here for about 36 or 37 minutes. Um, just some final thoughts. I, I think you and I, Jason, could talk for a while. I'd love to have you on again. Uh, it's been edifying to just get to, to get to chat with you and uh, just hear you seem like you are truly a man uh, after the Lord's heart. And uh, it's beautiful to hear. And, and I, I really do hope and pray that uh, people can pick up your book and, and you know, really look into it. I've already uh, been thinking of one friend of mine that I want to send it to. So um, any final thoughts on, on this topic here today? Yeah, well, I mean, that last comment you just made, look, there about giving it with a friend i there was if there was one book that did not need to be written it was a book on virtue and thomas aquinas if there was someone who's not qualified to write it it's me what i what i have done and i'm confident in this is that i what i've brought is the subject of virtues and the purpose of this book is not just another book to be read and you've got it in front of you you can see it it's meant to be discussed and one fascinating thing about the Summa is that it's written in a of the Summa of Aquinas is that it's written in a conversational form. And that my experience and the you know the, there's a reason the Summa is written in question answer. The greatest catechisms of all time are questions and answers, and you know our great Western tradition is called you know the great conversation. Is that I wrote this not for the content of the book but to create the context of friendship and brotherhood that people would discuss, argue, try to come to a greater understanding together through accountability, through a discussion, because there is so few, I mean, there's so many books we can read and my book is not, should not be on your shelf unless you intend to read it with someone else. This book was not, this was not me thinking, you know what, Aquinas and all these other, they, they need my help. I need to say it again. It was actually putting it in a format meant to be discussed. So if you're interested in the book at all, don't read it alone. Um, it really is meant, and you'll see as if you pick it up, it's meant to be discussed. It just kind of would be funny. I mean, uh, hopefully it'd be somewhat edifying if it's alone, but you know, you saying, I want to send it to a friend. Great. Well, don't send, you know, send it to a friend and then talk about it. You know, may, may, may God grant us many, many arguments uh, amongst our friends about how <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jason. This has been wonderful. I have two questions that I ask every guest who comes on the Gotta Be Saints podcast. So if you will indulge me, um, the first question I have for you, who is on your Mount Rushmore of Saints? Oh, that's a great question. And 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 you can have more than four if you if you want. Okay, like my people, like my peeps. All right. Yeah, yeah, whole... your people. Okay, Saint Augustine, Saint Benedict, John Henry Newman. I'm gonna say Peter Morin. He's not a saint, Peter Morin. Uh, wait, can I keep going? Give me a minute. This is great. Yeah, why uh, not? Uh, blessed Pierre Giorgio. Uh, 
I mean, St. Francis, come on. Uh, well, this is a question you got to take with you now to your next men's group. Yes. <laughs> that's a great question. I think you put that in the show. I should have prepared, but that's I'm, I'm, I'm happy I didn't. Yeah, those are my guys. And, of course, wait, wait, wait. Did I not say it? St. Thomas Aquinas. St. Thomas Aquinas. Well, I think he. everyone assumed. Everyone assumed he was there. So you're fine. All right. All right, I got one last one last question for you. God willing, one day, Jason, you're going to be a saint yourself. What are you going to be the patron saint of? Mm, um, small, wannabe, mildly profitable dairy farms. Okay, that is uh, very specific. I, I believe that the Lord can give you that one. All right. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Jason. Thank you to everyone at home who uh, turned into today's episode. I hope that you enjoyed our conversation. If you liked our podcast, make sure to give it five stars and hit the subscribe button so that you never miss another episode. Once again, we thank our sponsors. That's the Catholic Company and Good Catholic. Jason, thanks for joining and have a great day to everyone at home. Thanks, Brandon. It's great to be here. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe and check out goodcatholic.com for more details.